You're listening to an Axe Church sermon. Axe Church is located in Camas, Washington. You can find out more about us at www.axecamas.org. Check out our other sermons and podcasts. You can find them on iTunes Podcasts, SoundCloud, and our website. This sermon was preached by Pastor David Robinson, who is the teaching pastor at Axe Church. We hope you enjoy the sermon, and we hope that the Lord blesses you through it. I used to represent uh, a lot of people who were accused of crimes. Um, some of them from, you know, growing weed with their tomato plants in the front yard garden. Front yard, because they're always smart. Um, to, you know, burglaries, home invasion, violent felonies, things like that. In every case, the state who was accusing these people was saying the same thing. They're saying there was a law that was passed by our legislature, by the Congress of the state, the legislature of the state, and it was written down and it was declared to all the people, and you, the accused, you knew that law and you broke it. That was what they were saying every single time. In every single case, my client, my clients were always accused of failing to obey the obligation they had to follow the law. And in every case, there was a punishment if they were found guilty, right? There's an obligation, there's a law, they failed to obey it, what follows is a consequence, it's a punishment, right? And when I was, when I was a teenager, I bought my first car. It was a 1980 Chevrolet Chevette. For some of the younger people, they're like, ooh, Chevrolet Corvette. No, I did not say Corvette. I said Chevrolet Chevette. Um, there's a picture there for you. That's no Corvette, folks. That thing, I took it down to Earl Scheib. My dad and I took it down there, got the cheap paint job, you know, 99 bucks or whatever it was. Beautiful. And I hit the road with that thing. It went zero to 60. That's it. It just went zero to 60. (laughs) If we were going downhill from time to time. Um, It had brakes, sort of. Um, Seriously, I have no idea why my parents allowed me to drive that thing around. You would turn on like the rear defroster and an electrical fire would start. There'd be all this smoke coming through and whatever. I, you know, they had three kids and I guess they were just willing to roll the dice with me. They were like, <laughs> it's like a game. They were like, let's see if he makes it. If he does, it's gonna be really tough. If he doesn't, we've got two other ones we love more than him anyway, so. <laughs> now you know my story and why I am the way I am. Anyway, even though the car was slower than molasses in January running uphill, I still could break the law. I could break the speed limit as long as I was in a parking lot. Um, But I remember getting pulled over uh, in the Chevette. Uh, You know, the officer was on foot um, and 80 years old, but I could not run her. It just wasn't happening. So I think it was, you know, she had those tennis balls on the front of the walker. I think that gave her the extra bounce to, uh, to catch up to me. Um, the point is that even though I had a car that had to go with an inch of its life to actually break a speed limit, I still did. Statute of limitations. You can't do anything about it now. Um, but I didn't take my obligation to follow the law seriously in that case. Right? I didn't take it seriously enough, or I was not afraid enough of the consequences. But when you break the law, there are consequences, unless I represent you, um, which, based on your all's tithe, you can't afford that. So that's, uh, I'm kidding. I don't know what you tithe. But still, it is very expensive. Um, 
there's always consequences, right? When you break a law, there's always consequences. And there are actually laws that, that exist that are other than the laws that are passed in the states in this, in this country, in the United States. There are actually laws that are much more important than any law that we have in this country. There are laws that God put in place. There are laws that God put in place, and failure to obey those laws, to fulfill your obligation under those laws, can have eternal consequences. If we violate God's laws, it can have eternal consequences. And the good news that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, has died for your sins, and that you can be accepted by him, you can follow him, he can forgive you of your sins, that's not just a suggestion, it's actually a law. It's actually a law. Now, Lord willing, we're going to get back into that. I want you to hold on to that because we're going to go through some stuff today. But we're going to get back to that, that idea that we have an obligation and there's a law of God and that the gospel is actually a law. And so I want to come back to that. But we're, we're back to Rooted now. As you saw the, the video for Rooted this morning, we, we have a series. It's called Rooted. Uh, for those of you who are newer, we've been studying through the letters written to the first churches the first believers, the first Christ followers. Um, and we studied the book of Acts for a while, like three and a half years, something like that. And um, now we've been studying the letters that were written to these churches that God started through Paul and the other believers, the other men and women that were with him that, uh, that helped start these churches. We recently completed our study of 1 Thessalonians. Um, and so now we are going to start 2 Thessalonians. Uh, the, these, these Thessalonians, these folks in Thessalonica, um, were, they were relatively new believers. Some of you here are relatively new believers. You've come to know Jesus Christ. You've decided to follow him with your life. You're relatively new. All of it's new to you. You're just learning. That's kind of where they were. And they were living in the big, diverse city of Thessalonica. This was a huge town with all kinds of people going through it. It was, it was near one of the major Roman roads. It was, it was a, a place of a lot of commerce. It was, there were all kinds of ideas and philosophies and religions going on. But one thing that seemed to be consistent is that the people there did not respond kindly to Christianity. They did not respond kindly to Christ followers. Uh, there was a lot of persecution and a lot of suffering that was going on with the new believers in Thessalonica. And in 1 Thessalonians, uh, we saw Paul and Silas and Timothy in there, and they're really overjoyed that at the time of writing that letter, they had heard that the Thessalonians were staying strong and enduring in their faith. They were still following Christ, even though persecution had come, and even though there were such new believers, that, that the, the reality of their faith, even in this new believer's day, was strong enough to deal with the fact that they were dealing with serious, serious persecution. And we're going to hear in this book, which comes later, about the continuing suffering and persecution of the Thessalonians. So if you want to go ahead and take out your Bibles, uh, there should be some in the chairs. If you didn't bring them with you, we'll also be having it on the screen. You can use your iPod or your phone or whatever you want to do to, to look at it. But we're going to walk through 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. So if you want to turn there in your Bible, it's in the New Testament, Glenn. Um, so you should be able to find it. <clears throat> we're going to start with the first couple verses. Um, all right. Paul Silvanus, that's Silas. Sometimes it said Silvanus. Sometimes it said Silas. Uh, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting because your faith grows exceedingly 
and the love of every one of you all abounds toward each other. We're bound to thank God. So we have, we have this letter starting, as the letters often do, with thanksgiving. Paul is thanking God for the people who make up this Thessalonian church. He's thanking God. He mentions that their faith is growing and that their love is abounding. And if you remember back to when we were studying 1 Thessalonians not too long ago, these are actually things in the last letter that he was praying would happen for them. 1 Thessalonians 3.10, and I'll read 3.12 also. It says, Night and day praying exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. Their faith was lacking, and now it's growing. So he's thanking God that his prayer was answered. In verse 12, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all just as we do to you. And here he's thanking God. He's saying, we prayed for these things and now we're thanking God that we can see that these things are happening in your church. And what a testimony for Christ's body, right? What could we ask for more than that? That our faith would be increased, that we'd be growing in faith and that we'd be growing in love for one another. That is the thing that we ask God for. Do you all pray and thank God for this church, for this body? Do you think about, do you get up in the morning and when you start praying before, it's like, God, help me to be able to deal with this jerk at work and all the rest of it. Before you do that, do you take the time to thank God? Has he grown your faith? Has he, has he made you abound in love for one another? If not, if you're like, no, I don't, I don't think so. If, that's, if it hasn't happened, then you all need to press in more because this is a church where people are growing in their faith and they're growing in their love and it's an awesome, marvelous thing to see God's work that way. And it's happening and we should be thanking God for it. We should be thanking God that we're growing and that we're seeing growth in other people. We cannot forget when we're in prayer to be thanking God for his church, for all of his churches, but especially for the church that you're, you've been called to be part of the work that he's doing in all of us, right? His work through us. Um, I think it's probably harder for me to be joyful in general if I'm not giving God a lot of thanks for the things that he's doing and the things that he's done. I just think for me, as I'm walking through the day, I'm more likely to be kind of negative. Those of you who've seen Winnie the Pooh, kind of that Eeyore, like, oh, bother, you know, that kind of thing. I'm more likely to be in that state of mind if I have not been intentional about being thankful for the things that God is doing and for the things that God has done. Because if I'm doing that, I'm going to have a different attitude, right? Even my Chevette, I was thankful for. It was often faster than walking, um, except when I was pushing it, which was also often. But Paul says the words, as is fitting here. He's saying, I'm thanking you for these things as is fitting. It's fitting that when God does something, it's in order, it's orderly that the response that I have when God does something is that I thank him. Because look what God is doing, I see what he's doing, and so it's an orderly, fitting thing for me to thank him. And that's really important. Because it's out of order. Your life is out of order if you're not thanking God. It's out of order. You're not doing what you ought to do. Have you ever given somebody something, done something for someone, and they didn't thank you, and they didn't seem very thankful? Has that ever happened to you? A couple of you were like, yeah, I've given you something, Pastor Dave, and you weren't very thankful. Listen, I'm sorry. I love it. Whatever it is. It's great. Thank you. <clears throat> Seriously, it doesn't just hurt our feelings. It might do that. It might hurt our feelings when someone's not thankful, but it doesn't just hurt our feelings. There's something about it that's out of order. It's not just about us and our feelings that are hurt. There's something that's not fitting about people who are unthankful. Like, we know it's something about them. Like, they ought to be thankful they ought to be thankful, but they're out of order 
because they've received something, they've been given something, and they have not reacted fittingly to that thing. It's, it's not just what happens to you when you're not thanked. It's about what you understand about them. So really the response that you should have when someone isn't thankful for something you've done is not to be upset with yourself. It's to pray for them that God would work in their heart to make them have fitting responses to things that happen. Because, it, because it's, it's something that's breaking them. It's got nothing to do with you, right? We need to be thankful for what we receive, not just for the people who gave it to us sake or God's sake, but for our own sake. It's important for us to be and have an attitude of thankfulness. See, God doesn't need our thankfulness, okay? He doesn't need anything. He doesn't need you to say thank you. That's not, it's not like, oh, he hasn't said thank you, I'm going to cry. That's not where God is about it. He's saying, by thanking him, he knows that's what's best for you. That's what's most fitting for you. And that's going to actually help you. It's going to actually help you. So as Paul is thanking God for the things that he's prayed for for the Thessalonians that God has done, he's doing what is fitting, and it's actually good for him because there's a lot of stuff to deal with. For instance, we know that the Thessalonians, as I've told you, are suffering serious persecution. Really bad. We're going to get to that in a moment. But, God, but Paul still starts with thanksgiving. Even though there's really bad, he could come right into it with, hey, our people are being killed, they're being imprisoned, there's horrible things happening. He could have just come right out with that, but he starts with, thank you for doing the things that I asked you to do. Thank you for, for doing those things. And that's going to put Paul or any believer in the right attitude and heart when we do come to God with those other requests. So keep that in mind in your prayer life, that even when you're suffering, even when you're grieving, even when you're in pain, and those things all come. There is reason to thank God. And if you can't think of anything else, thank him for your salvation. Thank, you that, thank him that he has saved you. We need a, to be a thankful church. We need to be a thankful body of Christ followers. Thanking first, asking for other stuff later. I'm not saying you shouldn't come to God with your petitions and your requests. I'm just saying first, thank God. That's going to put you in the right attitude. And, it, and people looking from the outside, seeing us as people who are generally thankful, regardless of what's going on in our lives, makes an impact. It makes an impact. If we can be faithful to remember what he has done, our lives will take on a character of thankfulness and we will experience joy more easily and more often. That's just a fact. All right, let's look at the next, uh, next verse here, verse four. So that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. <laughs> they boast of them. In the South, we would have called that bragging on them. Oh, he'd been bragging on you. That's the kind of thing that they say. Oh, we were, just, we were just bragging on you. He's boasting. It's not like a prideful thing. He's encouraging other believers with the things that are happening in the Thessalonian church. He's saying, look, these are brand new believers. They're right out of the gate. They're fresh baby believers, and yet they're dealing with this persecution, this suffering, and whatever. They're enduring it faithfully, and that's encouraging other believers. It should be encouraging us to this day that those new believer Thessalonians who had to deal with it a lot worse than us, and they didn't have air conditioning. So think about that. Plus persecution, and they were enduring it. It should help us when we suffer, Right? That kind of encouragement, that's what Paul is doing. He is, he is encouraging by boasting of these Thessalonians. You know, it's something, there's something very cool to think that, you know, God is looking at our church, looking at Acts Church, and there are things that, he's, that he would boast about us for. There are things that he, would, that he would look at this body and he would say, well done in this thing, well done in that thing. There are a few things, maybe a lot of things, that we still need to work on. 
But there are some things that God would be happy about. That's what Paul, that's the, that's the kind of expressing what Paul is trying to say. I'm boasting about you. Now, we don't live like they did. They were in constant danger of persecution at the hands of the people of the city. They were in harm's way. I don't know if you've ever been in harm's way before or if there was something. Some people have experienced this. That, you know, when you deal with it, when I was practicing law, sometimes I represent somebody who had to get an order of protection because somebody was stalking them or something like that was happening. They felt in danger all the time. They didn't feel safe. Right? I don't know how many of you experienced that, but these people experienced that constantly just for following Christ. That's what they experienced. We don't live in constant danger of persecution because of our relationship with Jesus, because of our faith. We don't have that. But many people around the world to this day, your brothers and sisters in Christ, many people live constantly in danger and in fear. Persecution of Christ followers is a huge issue in the world today, and it's growing. Let's look at the slide um, from Open Doors Ministries. This is a ministry that, that deals with persecution in the church. And according to them, 245 million Christians, that's one in nine believers in the world, experience high levels of persecution. There are varying levels, but high levels of persecution, 245 million Christians, one in nine. 11 Christians a day are killed for their faith. Many more than that are probably killed, but 11 are killed specifically because they are Christ followers every single day. 2,625 Christians were detained without trial, arrested, sentenced, and imprisoned in the last year. 1,266 churches or Christian buildings were attacked. Somebody came and attacked these buildings. Now, Hebrews 13.3 tells us this. Remember the prisoners as if chained with them, those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are in the body also. 1 Corinthians 12, 26, it, and if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. We have brothers and sisters in Christ who are suffering, who are persecuted. They're part of the body. If one part of the body is suffering, we should all be suffering with them. We should all be suffering with them. We need to be praying for our brothers and sisters all over the world who do not know what is going to happen to them or their families today. They have children, little children, and they do not know that their little children are going to be safe. They do not know that they're going to be able to protect their little children today because they follow Christ and they faithfully still follow Christ. And we need to be praying for them. We need to be thinking about them. We need to be serving them in any way that we can serve them. They are, they are our brothers and sisters. They are the people you're going to spend eternity with. And they're suffering these things. They're following Christ. And just like the Thessalonians, they're enduring which means they're not giving up and they're not giving in, even though it means that they may lay down their life for Jesus Christ. Very few of us have shed blood in persecution for Jesus Christ. These people are risking it every day. By this time tomorrow, by this time tomorrow, if we go from now until tomorrow at this time, 11 believers will die because they follow Jesus Christ. Dead, gone, just because they follow Jesus Christ. About seven believers will be imprisoned just because they follow Jesus Christ. And about three and a half churches or Christian buildings will be attacked. You can just imagine what that would be like. That's what your brothers and sisters are dealing with. That's just one day. When they suffer, we suffer. When they suffer, we suffer. When one part of the body suffers, the whole body suffers. So be praying for the persecuted church in this world. Don't forget about it. Don't forget about them. We need to be less caught up in kind of our own world and the things that we're doing and the things that are going on in our lives and what we have to do today and what needs to be taken care of, and at least take some time 
to A, thank God that we are not facing that kind of persecution, that in general our families are safe, that, that following Christ is not putting our families in danger. And we don't forget those that are under attack, that are being murdered, that are being imprisoned for the name of Jesus Christ in this world. Verse 5. Which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you also suffer. For those of you uh, who remember our study in Acts, um, in, in I think chapter 14, yeah, 14, um, Paul is talking to believers and he's exhorting believers and, and disciples, right? That's what we are. We're disciples of Jesus Christ, Christ followers. And, and he's telling them, and he tells them this. He says, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. We must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. Persecution, whether physical or emotional or of some other kind, will happen will happen. Any version of Christianity that says follow Christ and have everything go well. Any version of Christianity that says we can, you know, we're about to build a building where it's really exciting. I have, we had people in there this week uh, looking at stuff and figuring it out. We're going to get a contractor and we're going to start going. It's really going to be something special. And that's great. And that's a blessing of God. And I thank God for it. But that's not what it's all about. Right? Following Christ is not about getting that nice building and whatever and just being safe and having the great uh, you know, worship music on the radio and all, all that. It's about a lot more than that. And there will be many tribulations for those who follow Christ. We're going to enter the kingdom of God through many tribulations. You're going to have it happen. Pain, difficulties, and suffering. But life in Christ is eternal life. It's about eternity. And it's about eternity for everyone. For us who believe, for those of us who are here who are listening to this, who believe in Jesus Christ, we have something really special to look forward in eternity. And there are some who don't follow Christ right now. And we have an obligation to tell them about Jesus Christ because eternity is on the line. We cannot get so locked in to every day and what's on the Facebook feed and what's on the news and what's the president doing today and what's this thing that's happening over here and what's happening. And we get so locked in. And always oh, isn't the world so bad? And always oh, isn't this happening? And we're so locked in that we lose our eternal perspective. We can't do that. We can't do that. It's not just about the present for us. Look, we have to be in the world, but not of the world. And I'm not saying to be sky gazing. I'm not saying that we're just, Lord, just come back today. Are you just going to come back today? Can you come back today? You should, be, you should be wanting that. But you have to be active within the world, but don't lose sight of eternity in that. Don't lose sight of eternity because if you lose sight of eternity, when you have to go through those tribulations and troubles, it would be unbearable. It would be unbearable to suffer in the way that some of us will suffer and all of us will suffer some if we didn't have eternity to look forward to and we didn't know that God was going to make all things new. It was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross. It was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross, despising the shame. He wasn't into the pain. He wasn't like, yay, bring the pain on. He despised that part of it. But it was for the joy set before him. In the same way for us, we need to be looking at the joy that's set before us. Our suffering is temporary. His kingdom is forever. Our suffering brings us closer to God. And here's the deal. It shows the world through our endurance, through the endurance of the Thessalonians, it showed the world that their faith, their faith in Christ was not weak or fake. Let's not forget this. What was the result of all these? It wasn't just Thessalonians. Lots of churches who were suffering. What was the result of the massive amount of suffering that the Christian believers, that the Christ followers went through in the first century? 
The result of it was the second and then the third century and the growth of Christianity that took over the world. That was the result of it. Their endurance then was such a testimony. Their love that was abounding for each other then was such a testimony that the entire world was affected. And to this day, there are thousands and thousands of churches just in this country, thousands probably in this state, that are proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ because the Thessalonians endured suffering then. You think they think it's worth it? I think they probably do. I think they do. We also get to see God's power and strength as he works through us and gives us strength in our weaknesses and our persecutions and our sufferings. This is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 10. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This guy is not saying I love pain. That's not, he's not taking some sort of weird pleasure in being persecuted. He's saying, I take pleasure in the fact that seeing my weakness helps me know that my strength comes from God. And I am telling you, for those of you who have not experienced that, who have never been forced into the position because we usually have to be forced into it. Because we want to be in charge and we think we can take care of everything ourselves. And that's the way we live for most of us until we either learn to live in Christ's strength or until we're forced to. For me, it was that second one. I've had to be forced to live in the strength of Christ, to do what I'm doing right now, to do so many of the things that I do every day. I have to live in the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit and in Christ, and I know it. I've been shown my weakness, and I do take pleasure. I do take pleasure in the things that have been difficult and and whatever, usually afterwards, not during, usually, but I do take pleasure in recognizing that my strength is coming from God. There is such, such peace in knowing that. That no matter how far down I've been pushed, I've always had God there. And that even unto death, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And I get to be with him. There is so much peace, shalom, in that. And that's what Paul's saying. Now, we are going to suffer, and there are two extremes that do not help us deal with suffering. And there's really only one way that does help us. The two extremes are this. One is the too tough way. I'm too tough. So if you've ever seen Monty Python and the Holy Grail, there's a fight. There's two knights. And, and one of them, and I'm not recommending this movie. It's probably very sacrilegious. I don't know. I, I don't remember, really. Um, probably wasn't walking with the Lord when I watched it. But this one guy, and he's like, they're fighting. This one guy's like chopping off his arm. And he's like, oh, he doesn't have an arm. And he's like, oh, should we, you know, we need to stop. He's like, no, no, it's only a flesh wound. And he just keeps like chopping this guy up, his legs and his arm. And he just keeps saying, it's only a flesh wound, right? He's too tough. It's like, no, bro, you just lost your arms and your legs. You're, you're really in trouble. But he wanted, to, he wanted to make light of it. Some of us do that. Hey, how are you doing today? How are you doing today, man? And the guy, oh, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, my dog died. It was like a country song in the guy's life. My truck's broken. My dog died. My wife ran away. I'm good. I'm, I'm good, right? They don't want to let you know. They're too tough. It's only a flesh wound. It's only a flesh wound. There's that way. Then there's the other side, right? There's the not tough enough, right? This is the, I broke a nail, and now I've put four Facebook posts about it. <laughs> Pictures. My crying face emojis, and like I'm going to spend three days crying. It's like in the whole life group, that's all we're going to talk about, right, this week. Whatever it is, right? And I'm not, 
And I'm not going after anyone in particular here. I don't know anybody that actually would do that over a broken nail. But my point is, I, it's, I'm, being, I'm using hyperbole, I'm exaggerating, but my point is there are people who have very small things that happen to them, and those things, because they're so self-focused, those things become huge. And the problem with the first one, the too tough thing, is that it's prideful and deceitful, right? You're saying, I can handle everything, I don't need any help, when it's not true, Right? You're lying to yourself, and you're showing pride to everyone else. It's not going to help you. And the problem with the other one is it lacks perspective. It lacks perspective. It doesn't help you to, uh, to see the world as it is, so really it's deceitful also. Your broken nail versus the 11 believers that will be murdered today. You know, Some of them children whose mothers or fathers will watch some of them who are killed in horrific ways. I understand breaking a nail is no fun. I, I don't know. I bite mine. But I understand it's no fun. But if you had a little perspective, you might not let it destroy your whole world. You might not spend three days freaking out about it, right? So one is deceitful and prideful, and the other is just a lack of perspective, right? A lack of perspective and, and self-absorption. In both cases, there's self that's involved. In one case, the self is prideful. I don't need any help from anybody. And what you're really doing is you're stopping yourself from the blessings that God has for you in his body, his church, uh, of people that can come around and actually help you and actually counsel you and actually stand by you as you mourn with those who mourn and rejoice with those who rejoice. And the other thing is you're actually taking away the blessing of service of the other people in the body who are called to serve you and who aren't able to because you won't let them in. You're actually harming yourself and the church by saying, I don't need any help. And look, I've been that person. You know, I, no, I don't need anything. I'm good. I'm good. The more you grow, the more you learn, no. Don't be too tough. And for the other person, they're, they're doing the same thing. They're hurting themselves by allowing their focus to become completely self-absorbed. And they're actually asking for service from other people that they're not called to give over smaller things. So what, what do we do, Right? Well, the best way to deal with suffering is to deal with it honestly, right? Tell your brothers and sisters in Christ what you're going through. Be honest about it. Have perspective, but be honest. I'm suffering. Don't, don't make it a pride issue and, and don't make it a self-absorbed issue. Just be honest. Hey, this is what I'm going through because we're here for each other. That's how love abounding works, right? We're here for each other. The church is different than culture. We can be vulnerable with one another. We can be here for each other. Be honest and then have patience and trust in God. Wait on God. Wait on God to show you that Romans 8.28 moment that is coming. Romans 8.28 is that God works all things together for good, for those who love him, for those who are the called according to his purpose. He's going to work it together for good. And you have to have patience sometimes to wait for that moment, to see what the suffering is for. But be certain that the suffering that you go through has a purpose. Even when it's your own fault, he's going to make good out of it. He's going to make good out of it and have patience and trust him that that's going to happen. And use the time to press into God, to press into your relationship with God and grow closer to him because you need him all the more because of your suffering. Don't act like you don't need him and you can handle it by yourself. You can't. You were never made to. You were never made to be God. You were never made to be strong enough to take care of all your own stuff. He has made you to be in relationship with him. So use those times to press even closer to him and endure. Don't give up and don't give in. 
And the only way you're going to do that is not in your own power, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how we deal with suffering. We don't pretend like it doesn't exist, and we don't over-dramatize things that aren't really suffering. We be honest about what suffering is. We press into God. We have faith and patience, right? And we endure. That's what the Thessalonians were doing. That's what they were doing. Let's finish out the chapter, verse, uh, chapter 1. We're in verse, starting verse 6. Since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you, and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Obey the gospel. Not, not assent to the gospel or receive the gospel. Obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes in that day. Capitalized day should be in your Bible there. The day, the great and terrible day of the Lord. This is that day to be glorified in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you was believed. Therefore, we also pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a lot going on there. First thing is this. Paul makes it clear, very clear, that the reason the Thessalonians are suffering, the reason that they are suffering is not because the people are rejecting them. That's not why. It's because the people were rejecting God. They were suffering because people are choosing not to know God. People are not obeying the gospel. They're not obeying the gospel. They're rejecting God, and that's why these people are being rejected, so they need to understand that first. And we've know, we know that. Luke 10, 16, Jesus says this. He who hears me... He who hears you, hears me. He who rejects you, rejects me. And he who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. In John 15, 18 through 22, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Why? Because God has chosen you out of the world. Because those of you who have decided to follow Jesus Christ instead of that wide road that leads to destruction, instead of being your own God, instead of doing your own thing, instead of exercising your own authority, because you don't want to be a rebel, God has chosen you out of that. And when God chooses you out of that, people hate you because God has chosen you. It's been true for the Israelites, for the Jews, since the beginning. That God had a chosen people and people hated them because God chose them. God has chosen you and people will hate you because God chose you. He tells us right here. Therefore, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. If I had not come and spoken to him, them, they would have no sin. Jesus has come. He was revealed, the Son of God. He came, lived that sinless life, died, rose again. He's been revealed to the world. He's been revealed. He has come and spoken to us. For those who reject him, it's sin. It's sin. 
The people rejected the Thessalonians because they rejected God. They rejected Jesus Christ. And then this great and terrible day of the Lord is discussed. Let me be clear. People may persecute you and people may hurt you. And you may want justice for that. But you should not be looking forward to the day of the Lord for that reason. Okay? Now you should be looking forward to the day of the Lord because we look forward to the day when Jesus will come for us, his church. Rapture us, right? The time when mercy will come. For all those who have followed him and all things will be made new. We should be looking forward to that. But for those who have rejected Jesus, and this is really important, those who have rejected Jesus, who have rejected God, it is a horrible, horrible day of wrath and judgment. It's not something any of you would want to see. God will bring on those who have committed crimes the justice they deserve. But the crime here, and this is where we really want to kind of Focus in. The crime here that this passage is talking about is really an important one to understand. The crime is the rejection of God. The crime is the rejection of the gospel. Right? We talk about the good news. We talk about the gospel. We talk about that Jesus uh, was born of a virgin, of a woman, right? So that God became man, that he lived a perfect and holy life without any sin, that he died on a cross to pay the price for you and for me, for our sin, for our crime of rejecting him. He paid the price for that, of rejecting God. And then he rose again from the dead, defeating death and hell and sin, right? And because of that, we can have a new spirit and we can have new life in him eternally. That's the gospel. That's the basic of, basics of the gospel right there. But it's not just a suggestion. It's not just a story. It's not just an idea among any ideas. It is the law. It is the law. Please, please recognize what scripture is revealing here. Because we've tended to go a little soft on this in the church. It is a crime against God's law to reject the gospel. It is a crime against God's law to reject the gospel. To reject Jesus as Lord and Savior and as King. If you do that, you are breaking God's law. If you think that I have been up here preaching the good news of the gospel as a choice, right? As a choice that you have among many choices, right? People have all these choices, kind of you do you, right? You do you, or this is the way that we found for us to live our lives, and you can choose your own path. If you've gotten that impression from me, that I, when I'm preaching the gospel, what I'm saying is, hey, here's something you could look at, right? Of the many ways that you could live your life, of the many airlines you could fly, we're glad you chose us today, right? Thank you for flying Delta Air. That is not what I'm saying. I'm miscommunicating if you think that that's what I'm saying when I talk about the gospel. When I talk about the gospel, I am crying out to you not to violate the law that will bring judgment and vengeance of God, righteous justice for those who have rejected him. Listen, the gospel is not one of many ways. Get this through your head if you don't have it in your head right now. If you've, been, if you've bought in to the philosophies of the world, because that's what they're all saying, right? Many ways. Find your way. That's you, you do you. Listen, let me make this clear. There is one and only way. Jesus is the one way. Jesus is the one truth. It is the law. It's a law. It's a law of God. It cannot be broken. There are not many truths. The gospel is not just a choice. It's an obligation. It's an obligation. It is God's unbreakable law that we accept Jesus Christ and his sacrifice and his grace. Unbreakable. Cannot be broken. 
And this is not a law like going 15 miles an hour in the parking lot with my Chevette, right? The worst thing that happens there is I get a ticket, maybe I pay some money, but both the Chevette and the money will perish in the end. We're talking about eternal consequences by breaking God's law and rejecting the gospel. And God's vengeance and judgment and punishment of everlasting destruction is coming for those who reject him because they've broken the law. They've broken the law. It's everlasting life or everlasting destruction. Seems like it's not a tough call, but there are many who will choose the latter because they're rebels to the end. They will not bow their knee to God. They will not. They want to be a law unto themselves. Now listen, I cannot pretend that the scripture says something other than it does. Okay? I, I'm not particularly enamored with sort of the fire and brimstone um, way of looking at the gospel or, be, or, or preaching it, you know, particularly as, hey, do this or it's going to be really bad for you. I like to focus on the fact that there's so much good when we accept Jesus Christ, that there's so much good to be had in the gospel that's everlasting life, that it's real life, that it's true life, that it's a new spirit. I like to talk about what God's done for me and the amazing thing. But you know what the biggest thing he did for me was? He saved me from destruction. It wasn't until I realized my, that I deserved destruction, that I had rejected him, that things took off in my relationship with him, my love for him, because he who's been forgiven much loves much. That's, that's the way it had to work for me. I don't like preaching fire and brimstone because I don't look forward to that for anybody. I'm doing this so that you won't have that. If you don't know Jesus, I want you to know him. I don't want you to break the law. I want you to know him. The consequences for breaking God's law by rejecting the gospel is God's vengeance. It's not good. It's not good for you. I'm not going to stand by and let anyone believe that following God or following Jesus Christ is one choice among many options. It's not true. It's not true. First of all, it's philosophically impossible. And I can explain that all to you someday if we do start doing contemplate again, which we probably will, Lori. It's coming. <laughs> Just like all of us learn at one time or another, fail, failure to follow God's laws has consequences. It has consequences. And those consequences can be eternal. I was talking with the youth this week on Wednesday night because I'm so young and hip. And... They wanted me to come in there. And we were talking about God's laws and how, how the laws of physics and, and the laws of God, uh, moral laws and so on, are the same thing. In the same way that if I was to drop my phone on the ground, it would fall. It wouldn't just float here, right? Nobody thinks that it's going to float right here. Watch. No, I'm just kidding. I don't have a magic trick for you. Everybody knows what's going to happen. It's going to fall to the ground because gravity is gravity. And you can't outplay gravity. I can't be like, all right, I'm just going to fly into that. That's not going to happen, right? Even if it was possible for people to fly, I probably wouldn't be a candidate for that. <laughs> a little heavy. You can't get past gravity, and you can't get past the law of God on accepting or rejecting the gospel. You can't do it. You can think that you can you can think that because he's been patient with you, like he was patient with me, that he will be patient forever. But do not mistake his patience and his grace for weakness or a lack of justice. It's truly patience. 
He's being patient with us right now. I don't know how long that's going to last. You don't know how long it's going to last. And we all have people in our families and our friends and whatever that are headed towards destruction, vengeance, just punishment. Folks, we got to have a heart for that. Certainly Paul does. You haven't uh, joined a club here. This is not the PTA. This is the body of Christ pressing into the kingdom of God. Following Christ is an act of obedience. It's following the law. God is not asking. It's his law. It's not like, hey, do this or don't do this. I'd love it if you did. No, he's saying, do this. This is it. Follow it or break it and have everlasting joy and encouragement and peace and relationship or everlasting destruction and punishment and separation from God. Those are the choices. That's it. I can't, I can't tell you it's anything different. You can search the scripture. You can go all day long. And people have, trust me, is there a way out of this? Is there a third way where I can be in charge and I can do what I want and I can, and I can be responsible for my life and I can do things the way I want and I, can, and I can make the kinds of decisions that I want and do the moral things that I want and whatever and still get the good stuff? No. Search it for yourself. Don't believe me if you don't want to. Believe in the scripture and believe in the one who rose from the dead because he's very clear about this. There is no way out. But here's the great news. Here's the thing that's, that's super, super cool. Remember that Paul himself was a persecutor of Christians. He was a persecutor of our brothers and sisters in Christ. He rejected Jesus. He rejected God. And yet, God came after him. Not of Paul's will. God came after him on the road to Damascus, and he was saved, and he was justified, and he was sanctified in Christ Jesus and he now has eternal life in him. And in the same way, God is coming after you. We sang about that today. Right? There's no shadow he won't light up. No mountain he won't climb up coming after me. He's coming after you like he did for Paul. You need to have that Damascus Road experience so that you understand what the law is. So you're not confused. So you're not listening to the voices in society that are telling you, no, 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 it's okay. If it was really like that, why hasn't God destroyed us all by now? Because he's patient. Because he's waiting for you. Because he's calling you and your friends and your family. You can be certain of that as you go out and witness the gospel. As you go out and witness the law of God, that people must be saved. They must repent. They must turn to Jesus Christ and be saved. You can be certain that God is coming after them. That it's not you doing this work by yourself. You'll never make it happen. You can't save people. But you can be God's hands and feet, his body in doing so. And going out because God is already working. He's calling them. He's coming after them. The same glorious salvation that I have in Jesus Christ, that I'm secure in, that when I go and lay my head on the pillow at night, no matter how much anxiety is going through, no matter how many things I'm worried about, no matter how many of the temporal things are going on, the one thing that I can rest in and get to sleep in is knowing that I am saved eternally and forever and that all this will pass away and that all things will be made new. And there is nothing like that. There's not a volume out there that's going to give you that peace. There's only Jesus Christ. There's only the law of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For those of you who have it, be thankful. Jump up and down today. Praise God that you will not suffer like those who reject God. 
Praise God that you were not made for wrath, but were chosen. And the world may hate you, but it's because God loves you. And I'll tell you which one I'll take. The love of the world is fickle. It's not real. Ask any celebrity who's been popular for a year, a week, whatever it is, who's had their 15 minutes of fame, how much the love of the world has made their life great. The love of the world's nothing. The love of Jesus Christ is everlasting. It's everlasting. Don't play games with God's law. Don't wait for tomorrow. Got a little more sinning to do first. He'll keep waiting. You don't know that. And that attitude alone shows where your heart is. I've been there. Trust me. I'll figure it out. When I get older, you know, I'll go back to church, you know. When I have kids, when I do this, well, I'll go back to church and kind of do that thing, you know. Make sure that I'm all good before I, you know. Don't do that. Don't play games with God's law. It's a complete misunderstanding of the seriousness of this situation. This is an eternal situation. You were made to be eternal. You, there is nothing like the pain that people will experience. People who are made in the image and likeness of God to be in relationship with him when they have to live without him forever. The very thing that, it was, that was built into their core is the idea of a loving, powerful relationship with their creator who they are made in, in the image and likeness of. And when they have destruction and separation from God, there's nothing like the pain that's going to be there. And there is nothing like the joy of being there in that relationship that you were made for. You were designed for it. The gospel of grace and mercy and peace that God's offering to you, accept it. He's offering this to you through his holy, one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, who died for you who believed what we're talking about so seriously and so fully that he was willing to die and be spit on and be mocked and be persecuted and be murdered for the joy set before him. And that joy was you coming to know Jesus, was you fulfilling that law, accepting that law, doing what's right so that you could be saved from the wrath to come. Now, I don't like having to do this, as I've told you. I don't like the kind of hellfire and brimstone, but it's in the Bible, I'm just reading scripture, right? I'm not making this up to scare you. That's not the point. It should scare you. It would scare me if I wasn't in Christ. But I'm not doing it for that reason. I'm just, I'm just preaching the word of God. Talk to him about it. He's the one who says this. Take it seriously. Well, thanks for listening to that Acts Church sermon. We hope you got a lot out of it. If you did, we'd love it if you would comment or uh, give us a review or give the track a like. Uh, it really means a lot to us to hear back from people who have um, heard these sermons and have been impacted by it. So share your story with us. Share what is happening in your life um, that this is speaking into. And remember, you can subscribe to our iTunes podcast or through SoundCloud so that you can get all of our releases as soon as they come out. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back with more next week.